the rewards of this Reconciliation Week over the years is the exposure it's brought to aspects of our history that have been either never brought to the public eye or overlooked. What we'll hear now, for instance, from one of our most acclaimed historians is from the latter category. As you'll hear, it tells of events of both horror and heroism, of an important peace treaty between Indigenous Australians and others in Queensland, and of a young female chronicler of the dramatic events around her by the name of Alice Duncan, who should be much better known. Tom Griffiths has fleshed this story out in the latest edition of Griffith Review. His essay is titled... But we already had a treaty, returning to the Debney peace, and he's with me now to illuminate us. Welcome back to Saturday Extra, Tom. It's a pleasure, Geraldine. So what and when was the Debney peace? It was held in 1889, uh, May 1889, in the Channel Country, that sort of vast region uh, where the great rivers of the Cooper, the Diamantina and the Georgina flow into the Lake Eyre Basin. And it's uh, in the heart of Mythica country where Mythica people now have native title. And it was a five-day ceremony that was organised by Aboriginal peoples of the region in the midst of harrowing war. Uh, War had reigned in those uh, decades of the 1870s and 1880s, and both uh, white pastoralists and Aboriginal leaders wanted to bring a truce, a negotiated peace, Mm. and it was um, commemorated and um, solemnised in in a five-day ceremony. And how did it come to light? It's recorded in only, as far as we know so far, in only one place, and that's in the writings of Alice Duncan, later Alice Duncan Kemp. Uh, and she grew up in the heart of that country. She was born in 1901 on the pastoral station uh, Muraberry. And uh, she was from an early age um, recording uh, and asking questions of both white elders and black elders. And she had a very unusual and privileged childhood. She grew up with Uh, Aboriginal teachers, mythic of people who loved her and cared for her and who really took her into their kindergartens, uh, trained her in Aboriginal law and culture. And she felt from a very early age um, a responsibility to record uh, their stories, their histories, as well as the stories of her own people, of uh, the Duncans and the Debneys and of other pastoralists who were bringing the, the sort of cattle and sheep industry into that country. So she respected and, and venerated, in a way, both sides of a very difficult, um, uh, of a very difficult transformative moment but it in was, the but pastoral frontier. It was quite um, accidental, was it not, that it was actually in November 2019, um, there were a range of public consultations around Queensland uh, launched by the Queensland Government talking about their Path to Treaty initiative. And one was in Birdsville, in the Channel Country. And at this meeting, a mythica elder Betty Gorringe just said one thing from the back of the room, you note, we already had a treaty, the Debney piece. It's in Alice's books. And, and you know, it, it, it had just been sort of overlooked, had it? And yet it brought to an end those shocking, well, it, to a part end anyway, those shocking frontier wars of Queensland. Yes, it's a remarkable moment, isn't it? And I wanted to begin my essay with that story of Betty Goringer's marvellous intervention from the back of the room. Um, and, you know, but we already had a treaty. It's in Alice's books. And I think there are many other such agreements, negotiated truces and agreements that uh, took place right across Australia that we just haven't 
discovered or remembered do, or rediscovered. Do, do you now think that that they are, that that they exist in a range of places? I think it's very likely. Um, part of the story is that uh, this is only recorded in one written document, and part of my um, responsibility as a historian is to explain why we can take that story. Uh, as truthful, why its detail is likely to be correct. And so I spend quite a bit of time trying to introduce people to Alice Duncan Kemp and why we can rely on her testimony. Um, but, you know, there were strong reasons why these agreements, negotiated truces, peace treaties, whatever you like to call them, why they were not advertised, because this was an undeclared war. Aboriginal peoples were... Um, regarded as British subjects and their uh, behaviour was regarded uh, as criminal, not as fighting a heroic war to defend their sovereign lands. You know, So to, in fact, uh, advertise a peace treaty or for a government to be seen to negotiate a peace treaty would have been to acknowledge sovereignty. It would have been to acknowledge a state of war. Well, it was a repudiation so, of terra nullius, wasn't it? That's right. So these, there are very strong reasons why uh, this was kept secret and only um, known amongst those for whom it was vital for survival. And it was a desperate act of survival by Aboriginal peoples to organise this, this occasion, this event, and to uh, bring pastoralists into mm. the ceremony. But also important for pastoralists because uh, sympathetic pastoralists needed and depended on uh, an Aboriginal workforce, a, a largely free and unpaid and exploited Aboriginal workforce, but without the help of the locals, their economy uh, was not going to prevail. Yeah, we're going to come back to that in just a moment, but I would like you to talk in, in these terrible, this terrible time in Australian history, the frontier wars in Queensland, the Native Mounted Police Force, capitals in MP, um, which Raymond Evans, the historian, has called a counterinsurgency force, operated under the direct control of the Executive Council of the Colonial Administration, and they were a effectively deployed as a death squad, weren't they? Run by an Irishman, but with Aboriginal um, people underneath him. Now, that was a, that's really a, a shameful part of our history, is it not? It is. The Queensland frontier was the most brutal frontier in Australia, and it was a later frontier. Um, you know, uh, firearms were more effective, and there was also um, a, a more... Um, concerted effort, I guess, by the occupying whites to really clear the country. That was the role of the Native Mounted Police. Um, they were Aboriginal peoples recruited or conscripted by force from other areas to go out there uh, under leadership uh, from um, white people to uh, kill and chase uh, and massacre. Now, the, the Aboriginal, Aboriginal as point is the Aboriginal people were killing the cattle, um, but they in response, these uh, native forces killed people. I mean, that's the distinction, isn't it? I mean, it was a full, it was a war, wasn't it? It was a war and people spoke about it as a war at the time. Um, but it wasn't an official war, of course, in terms of law or government policy. But uh, those who were out there knew what they were dealing with was a war mm. of extermination. And, and some of them were very disturbed about it and wrote about it and spoke out about it. Yeah, well, let's move the story along now to meet this man, George Leonard Debney. Who was he and what was his contribution? Yes, so this peace ceremony is known, remembered by 
white pastoralists as the Debney piece because George Debney was a, a tall, charismatic man who'd come to the Channel Country uh, in the early 1880s. He had experience of frontier warfare in northern South Australia. Uh, he became a justice of the peace. He, in the Channel Country, he had a kind of official role as a protector of Aboriginal people, but he was inclined to work with them and to befriend them, and he was himself befriended. So he uh, established a number of strategic friendships with Aboriginal leaders in the district, and together with them, in the late 1880s, uh, they moved towards this peace ceremony. But what was crucial was that they also involve the leadership of the Native Mounted Police, because part of the peace ceremony, the purpose, was to keep them Native Mounted Police out of the district because they were engaged in wholesale slaughter and the pastoralists and the Aboriginal peoples wanted to keep them out. They were both terrified, really, of uh, of their murderous power. Well, yes, a lot so, of the whites were... were they, they knew it. And, in fact, a lot of the whites forfeited their leases. Uh, that's the interesting part of your research for me anyway. Um, it, it was so awful that they just got up and left. Yeah, well, they were in trouble. You know, white uh, pastoralism was in trouble out there in the 1880s. You know, it was it was tough. The seasons were difficult. The elements were harsh. And there was a war that meant that they were really having trouble. And in order to hang on, they needed Aboriginal advice. They needed to know where the water was, when droughts were coming. They needed help in mustering, in looking after stock, in where to site their homesteads. They had their homes cleaned by, you know, these people, these locals. Uh, they Their entire enterprise depended on the unpaid, largely unpaid labour of Aboriginal people. So, uh, the, if the native police came out and cleared the country and cleared the workforce, that was also against the interests of the white pastoralists. So, look, bringing it to a close then, this peace treaty held by the sound of it and it mattered, it was strong enough. It, it also brought different tribes uh, into it, I gather, and yet it's disappeared from from history. Uh, it's amazing really, isn't it? I wonder how often this is. Has This has happened. Yes, well, young Alice Duncan, I admire her so much, you know, and her. the wonderful thing in this work, Geraldine, is that I've been working with uh, descendants of Alice Duncan Kemp, uh, descendants of George Debney, and, of course, Mythica people today who are all coming together and we're all engaged in a really a century-long conversation about rights and meaning in this landscape and working together now to try and um, return stories to to uh, landscape and to places and and to work together in doing that. It's, in, it's exhilarating work. And uh, it's I think that um, Alice Duncan's commitment to the Mythica teachers who really brought up with a great love of that country, it just shines through her writing. Is there any plaque or anything that we can see to commemorate this? Not at the moment, but I know Mythica people today are, are keen to... Um, gather these stories. Um, there are many such stories about uh, their ancient stories as well as more recent ones about the contact period um, and to be able to find a way to bring them to visitors and to the wider public. But this story about the Debney piece is one that they have identified as a really crucial one of national significance. There are mythical people still there, are there? Because, I mean, that's part of the trouble, I think. It, it just There were so many... It was a very vital area of Indigenous life and um, was sort of essentially cleared, was it not, of, of most Aboriginal people? Yes, well, in spite of the Debney piece, which did bring 
uh, a truce and a pe- did bring peace. It did diminish the violence. There was, of course, still government removal of Aboriginal people from uh, that from country in the early 20th century. There was the uh, ravages of the influenza pandemic of uh, 1918, 19 and 20. Um, that was devastating, particularly to Aboriginal people. So, um, you know, there was a great loss of um, people and of traditions and of connection to country, but Mythica people hung on however they could, and they're still there today, and they've renewed their connections through native title. And this story, I think, tells us all that native title, in spite of its difficulties, really works. It really can work in terms of enabling people to access uh, their beloved country again, to strengthen their culture, to renew the stories and to bring their own youth uh, into those traditions, which is what they're doing today. Tom Griffiths, thanks very much indeed for joining us. A great pleasure. Thank you. Tom Griffiths is Emeritus Professor of Australian History at the ANU. And for more on this, head to the latest edition of the Griffith Review called Acts of Reckoning, which is where Tom's essay is. And uh, I might add there's also an exhibition on called Kieran Derry, Heart of the Channel Country, about mythica history and culture. It's on at the University of Queensland right now, and it'll be touring regional Australia. So keep your eye out for that.